Welcome to another episode of the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. Uh, today, I've got who I call the most interesting man in tennis. I've been in tennis, well, I started playing when I was five, so that's 58 years. And about 45 of these, uh, this guy came into my life who <clears throat> has kind of done it all in my estimation. And I call him the Baron Vaughn Baker. Vaughn, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Gary. It's nice that you called me. I appreciate your, uh, your, what you're doing for the, the history of tennis. That's great. Well, you know, I initially just kind of started doing this with Chip Hooper, and Chip's not here today, but uh, uh, we just start, wanted to talk and try to get a history of the people, and a lot of the people that were kind of behind-the-scenes people, which you're probably the epitome of that. But um, why don't you tell the people a little bit how, how, how we got started. What were you doing when you heard about Gary Plock? What? First, I just hope Chip stopped practicing for Stanley. <laughs> oh <laughs> that's yes. Why, that's, that's why he's not there today. Um, so Gary, one of the jobs I had at uh, Wilson was the junior development program, and um, <clears throat> top three hundred kids in the country. Uh, I made a point of knowing. I knew their handle size. Uh, all but six of them used Wilson. Uh, knowing their parents and uh, knowing. Uh, you know about them, and and of course we we wanted them to when they went to college. We wanted them to be playing with Wilson, and when they went to on the tour, we wanted them to be playing with Wilson. So uh, this was a commitment that the company made, you know, to junior tennis. And I traveled all over the country to in the summer uh, to various events and meet people like you. And while I'm watching you and studying, seeing how good you're going to be doing, I'm, the, the parent is. Uh, beating me about how good their their, their parents are of course. I mean, their, their kids are so uh, but that was that was that was it and the, the other thing is in those days I could have a very good influence on the kids if they got out of line they were they were cheating they were I you know I, I would you know I'd pull them off in a, in a heartbeat you know their their free rackets or uh, there were times when uh, there were kids that pushed so much by their parents they were going to commit suicide and and uh, I was asked by the tournament director would I talk with a kid and try to talk him down and out of this so um, there, you know there was a lot of uh, a lot of things that you saw that, that we were doing that uh, didn't necessarily come you know show up on the court you know that's a, that is a really interesting thing when you talk about things that happened behind the scene how you really mentored some kids even though you were you know you were a, a company representative and not an official coach or anything like that and it, it made me think back to juniors because I don't know if it was you or, or Bob Schaefer or somebody that had to take the rackets away from a one person that uh, that I had a little win against, and uh, I think when he got to the top of the tarmac, that was me. he that threw was me. the rackets onto the tarmac. And so we, so we're not going to mention the name of that person. Is that correct? The, the, I hope we don't. I can't even remember who it is. Oh yes, you do. And uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I heard about it. I didn't see it, and uh, I called uh, the father of this. Uh, a person and said, "Listen, I have just taken your son off the free list," and uh, and the father went ballistic at me. Really? And I, went, she, I, I would if my daughters were playing a in a volleyball tournament in New York and uh, acted up, I'd appreciate your stepping in as a as as a, as a parent and uh, and and notifying me. Well, uh, and and my relationship with this player and his. Uh, was was never good. What was really interesting is one of my contracts was with one of the products that he handled, and they uh, they I can't, so, so so we're not mentioning the name. I can't mention the product, but uh, the uh, the uh, the person behind this said, "Listen, can you help me negotiate so and so's contract?" And I said, "So and so doesn't like me." and I'm not real fond of. I don't think I'd be doing you much help. Yeah, but you speak English, and I don't speak English. I said, well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do it. But it was a strange. Uh, it was a strange uh, uh, relationship um, that we had. And then at Wimbledon one year, when I went up to congratulate this player, 
um, so this is years later. I said, a nice, uh, nice win, Blank. And he said, I bet you wish you gave me more free stuff, don't you? And I went, no, no, I gave you exactly what I thought you deserved. How and, about that? And I think that might have been my last conversation with him. So Interesting. But, but, but we could help. I thought we, you know, I tried to, to do that. And um, uh, this red stencil, you might remember this, the red stencil was just coming oh, yeah. out. That's just got huge. And, and uh, we, I got Wilson T-shirts uh, made up, and we would, we would give a Wilson T-shirt to the, each kid that would let me put the red W on his, uh, at, at Kalamazoo, and uh, uh-huh. the, kids loved, the kids loved it, you know. And then part of my job was just getting to meet and work with the, um, all of the people that never get mentioned in any of this, that all of these, you know, Sam English comes to mind down in Louisville. All of these people around the country have done so much, volunteered so much of their time, were, you know, were leaders for tennis. Um, and they, you know, so I, I made a point of meeting and talking with all of those folks and seeing what we could do to support them. And, um, and the so big we, week was, and the big week, of course, 10 days was, was Kalamazoo, the junior nationals. Right. Right, right, and I also went down to I went to all the nationals, regardless of where the you know where they were, and uh, took my wife and my kids, and we packed up and you know went down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a funny story is I was heading down to um, I want to say uh, Louisville when you you had a junior tournament down there, and uh, uh, I get a call. Wilson was putting on a it was the, it was the um, well, the hundredth birthday of tennis, and Wilson was putting on a big thing in Chicago, and um, they had brought in all these celebrities. And part of our job, Gary, was the celebrities. And you know, I, I didn't have much use. You know, I'm a you know a pretty hard rocks guy. You know, yes. And uh, uh, so we ended up hiring uh, hiring somebody else to uh, to just handle them and and uh, fawn over them because. Uh, and my thought with these uh, celebrities was uh, they weren't tennis players, you know, and I wasn't going—I wasn't going to spend any time with them. Um, so, so there was another person we hired. Janice Gordon was her name, and she dealt uh, with them. Whereas Don, and I mentioned the last time, Don Juneman and I dealt with the players, and Gene dealt with the uh, USTA, Gene Buick. And, uh, and so that, that's how we were set up, and I'd go to these events. And, but Janice called me and said, listen, uh, uh, we need for you to hit with a celebrity. And the celebrity was a guy, well, uh, Ed Ames was his name, the Ames Brothers. And uh, he was also the Indian on uh, Baby Crockett. So television was just really getting popular, you know, had been maybe had a 10-year run and everybody knew him and i picked up tony traver and ed ames at the airport before i left town in a car for you can imagine my car is packed with guide and rackets and the whole thing and uh and when we get out to the car ed ames said what no limo and, <laughs> and and traver who's just a wonderful guy says suck it up if you want to be a tennis player ed and he gets in the car, and he was very, very rude. I mean, he was he was rude. He was being kind. Now, was so, Ed Ames? Uh, Ed Ames was he had a a hit song in the late sixties, yeah, oh yeah, and and yeah. also he was on he was was he Davy Crockett's sidekick. Because yeah, he, 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 he was the same guy, I believe, that threw a tomahawk on the Johnny Carson show exactly, against a wooden and, and uh, hit, it, hit it just about right. It was a really good throw. But, uh, yeah. And that's, he was from the Ames Brothers, and they were a popular, popular group. Oh, is that right? They were the Ames yeah. Brothers before Ed Ames. I, I did not know that part. Um, so, so I delivered him down to the indoor center and got the heck out of there to get back on the road to come down to Louisville. And uh, I get a call. Uh, would I come back? I mean, they needed somebody to hit, hit with these people. And who do I draw but Ed Ames? And I, would, <laughs> I, I would never do this. But all I did is we would start warming up, and I'd hit a drop shot, and he'd have to walk up and get it. And he'd walk back and put it in play, and I'd hit another drop shot. <laughs> or if he tried to volley, I hit a lot. Never, never hit the ball to him. And he could not say a word because he knew that he had been an absolute <laughs> jerk. Horses, and, butt. 
That's funny. And finally, he walked off the court, and I then said to Gene, I said, so I can, I can get back to my job now. And he said, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't the best guy to be, uh, you know, uh, once uh, Janice didn't know much about writing orders or any equipment. And uh, it was uh, uh, one of the celebrities. Uh, well, who was another one? Who was another celebrity uh, uh, contact that you had back then? Anybody, uh, any funny story? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of his name. He was, he was uh, Wyatt Earp, Hugh O'Brien. Hugh O'Brien. Yeah, and so, um, so Wyatt uh, asked for a couple pair of socks, and um, Janice writes an order and ships him two gross of socks. And plus, everything she shipped him, she was new. She had just gotten out of college. She didn't, he shouldn't know all of this. So she uh, just ships a max uh volume of all the items so now he's upset because he can't get in his house he's got all these packages in front of his house and i get him on the phone i said oh we're really sorry somebody she's just trying to learn and you know this type thing and so um he, he calls me back in a couple of days says you know i got calculating this uh what i would like in place of that and he he started naming the rackets and how many gross of balls and tennis balls that he huh. wanted that type thing. So um, they might have had a, a lot of money in a big house, but they just they were they had their hand out just like every other tennis player I met. You know. What, was Hugh O'Brien in some movie like Boys Town or something way back then? I mean, I know he was a huge right. he was a huge think, star. Oh, he was. And I liked it. I personally liked it. I just thought it was a funny story. And uh, and then another guy was uh, Kirk Douglas, you know. so uh, Kirk uh, Douglas, I love him. What was he like? And he, he, was, he was a real, he was a, a man's man. And uh, he was had a real popular um, uh, show then, Underwater Frogman or something like that. Not uh, that you're not you're not talking about Lloyd Bridges, are you? That with the... oh yeah 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 yeah. But Kirk Douglas was there, and because uh, his son. Uh, uh, but, but I am talking about Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, he had the underwater. What was yeah, it was called. Uh, it was called Sea Hunt, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you can see why I wasn't really good with these people. I I remember walking out of. Wimbledon once, you know, they have the, all the, the, uh, the guards out there keeping the, the, all the crowds away, uh-huh. and, I'm, and I'm talking to some guy uh, there, and then I, I go, uh, I finally see the party I'm going to go to, and I go and through the crowd, and we, <clears throat> we get a, a coffee, and he says, I didn't know you knew blank, and I went, who? The guy you were talking with, <laughs> and he was a famous, I want to say, uh, Cliff. Uh, Robertson? No, was, uh, he's, he, he sold, sold more songs. He was uh, dating uh, Barker. He sold more songs than Elvis Presley did in Europe. Uh, Cliff, um, anyway, that, now you can see why I didn't like handling the, uh, the celebrities or forehand stuck in them. <laughs> they were, they, uh, you know, they, they, of course, like some tennis players, uh, are a bit entitled. Yeah, I, I was looking up Hugh, and he was the life and legend of Wyatt Earp from 55 right, yeah. to 61, yeah, so he had a TV show, and he was in the John Wayne movie, The Shootist. Uh, right, oh no, he was big, and I, I had to call him Wyatt, because I couldn't not <laughs> You called him Wyatt. <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, but he was a good guy, I, you know, I liked him, and then, um, Okay. Uh, the um, who did the um, uh, you know Moses? Uh, Charlton oh, Charlton Heston was a big tennis player, and he and he was he was a classy guy. He was a very very classy guy. Was and, he? Uh, yeah, I really thought the world of him. Uh, and uh, so so we you know we got involved in in that piece of it but i i had no interest in servicing it or or being nor did don and uh we ended up having to clean up some messes at times but but uh, <laughs> but i'm sure they helped i just i just never could understand how they helped but i'm sure they helped um, you know for further the image of, of wilson that's interesting you know because um i'm gonna kind of segue into another type of uh, famous person uh, and that's the athletes that you dealt with. We touched on it a little bit, but uh, you you dealt with I know the con with Jimmy Connors and Chris right. Everett on a on a weekly basis. But well, um, there's, one, there's one guy 
I, I want to talk about, I don't think people were so interested in hearing from this old war horse as much as uh, about uh, Gary Plock and some stories that uh, they might not have heard. Oh, that's um, true. Well, I, was, I thought, I was, I was thinking that you were going to talk about the uh, Wilson fellow, Jack Kramer, that was still working with you. We can talk about Gary Plock, but while we're talking about, fam- let's stay on famous people for a minute and then we'll get to him. But uh, what about Jack Kramer? Well, Kramer was really classy. He was a very bright, bright guy. And I... Uh, Tennis owes so much to him because he and, and Olin Parks, a friend, did the barnstorming. They went all over the country uh, promoting tennis and met the Sam Englishes and all those people that uh, were important locally. Yeah, tell and, the people about barns. Uh, explain barnstorming that he yeah, went around so barnstorming. Yeah, so they went they went all around every every place they could find, uh, like in our college, uh, uh, basketball. Uh, Floor. They stretched the canvas. That canvas was kept at Wilson for for many years, and that they would stretch the canvas and uh, play uh, play there. And it'd be guys like Labor and and, um, and Gonzalez and you know, all the people that I had looked up to. And we and team team would watch it, or they would get local in other places. They'd get local uh, players to you know do the lines. Well, and, that's interesting uh, because it, that that goes back a lot farther than just Jack Kramer because that was one of the elements of tennis in the 20s and the teens where Bill Tilden would go around barnstorming and they would actually play a series of matches uh, and they'd play the same person, be Riggs and Kramer every night or it'd be Budge and and, uh, so anyway this barnstorming was a way of life in tennis back when tennis was a spectator sport. And I know that the U.S. Open, you see a lot of people, but if you go to tournaments and things, if it's not parents or buddies, there, there aren't people that just come to watch tennis matches on that level. And that's something that's not there anymore. And, and, and so Jack Kramer actually had a tour, and he was, you know, started this, but it was also a kin- continuation of something that uh, was 100 years old. Right, and um, tennis was incredibly small. People don't realize how what a small s- sport. And I know in my, uh, you know, I was in uh, even our high school. We started a high school team, and we beat a private school that had never lost a match in thirty years. And, and we did that like in our second year of playing. Uh, so I came out of the public courts, whereas tennis were really the country club set. And and um, uh, Kramer's uh, and those uh, those efforts um, uh, went beyond the efforts of Tilda and then Kramer and all went beyond uh, the country club out to the public and and that's when we started seeing Ash was a public court player Billy Jean was a public court player and um, and we were you know. They, we were looked down upon, and uh, and we like being looked down upon. I, I didn't have a pair of tennis shorts. I wore white Bermuda shorts and t-shirts, and um, so we go up to New York and play. I really wasn't dressed properly for uh, you know for the you know the the game. But if you show up with game and beat some people, um, suddenly you can change things. And and that's you know we were, and it wasn't just me. It was happening all over the country. Uh, more and more of the uh, Public courts people were playing, and and, uh, and as a result of uh, the efforts of Kramer and, and those kind kind of people. So, but he was a, just a, just an absolutely bright and wonderful, and very very uh, open to uh, discussion. But the beautiful thing is that uh, at Wilson, if uh, I needed an introduction or there was a problem, like Marilyn Fernberger threw me out of her tournament. That's that's one of my claims to fame because. <laughs> talking about country club tennis you know Maryland threw me out um, because uh, the 500 bucks that we had given to her um, for her tournament apparently she decided wasn't enough and she wasn't going to have me wandering around so all the players stopped going to her little um, players room and they all joined me in the coffee shop uh, across the street how about that? Now that's Marilyn Fernberger, who used to run the U.S. Pro Indoor Tournament in Philadelphia, which was the place where actually Chip Hooper had a run and beat uh, several people, including Roscoe, and uh, and then lost in the semis. And she was a 
a demagogue for sure in, in, yeah. in her neck of the woods. One thing I wanted to touch on, Vaughn, that you to uh, say is that you're right. A tennis had always been an elitist sport and a small, small number. But you look at the great players, and almost all of them did come from pu- the public parks. Right. You know, the Bob- right. Bobby Riggs, for example, and Maureen Conley coming out of, you know, Absolutely. Barnes Tennis Center, and, and Jimmy Connors, and Billie Jean King, and even Pete Sampras, even though he started training and, you know, right. swank places, he would, he did not come from, he came from a working class family. Dick Stockton, Brian Godfrey, and you can right. go on and on, and it's kind of an interesting paradox because you see, you know, that tennis is still, you know, you now it's it's to be a junior tennis player anyway. It's just too expensive for ninety percent of the people, you know, because they're and uh, it's just to to get a ranking and go through that system. It's almost pro- cost prohibitive. But uh, and anyway, Gary, one of the interesting things for you and I, if we got into a, a pinch, a non-tennis pinch, because we learned how to grub it out. And to concentrate for three hours or four hours or five hours, we're very, very good in a difficult situation. Whereas everybody else seems to shut down. I don't know if you've discovered that in your in yourself. They, 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 the, the, the lessons we learned from playing competitive tennis uh, really impacted uh, our lives in a in really an important way. And and yet I can remember interviewing for a job once and uh, somebody said, oh, you're a tennis player. And this is even after tennis was really popular. Said, so you're a tennis player. That means you're a non-team player. And I'm like, you apparently never played doubles. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, the, 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 okay. listeners, the listeners may not know this, but, uh, you know, just about at every turn, and you talk about tennis uh learning how to win a tennis match and how it relates. And a lot of people have talked about that. But Vaughn, who was also uh, at every turn when I, I would go and interview for a job at uh, Spalding or Wimbledon, he would be at the head of the company. And we're going to talk a minute of how uh, he got me over there to France and somehow pulled it off so that I was in the Monte Carlo draw and the Nice draw, two of the nine biggest tournaments in the world. Um, don't know how he did it, but we're going to talk about that in a bit. But I was referring back to something when you were running the the rackets, the sales division of one of the companies, and I was selling for you, and and uh, you you said you got to you got to dance on your feet. You got to know how to dance and turn directions right away in terms of talking to somebody and trying to get have a goal of jamming some rackets and apparel into their shops but uh so you, you're right you know you you've taught me a lot and it's interesting how uh, tennis is a microcosm of life and and all of the players have on here have talked about it and how it's helped them and how it's it's actually determined how they've uh, done their business and their life and so right. it's it's very interesting and um so talk about that uh how did you get me to france i want to know about that so here this was really funny uh fast forward i'm involved with uh, a smalling company called snowart and uh, sandy Meir was playing with the snowart rack and playing quite well and he was supposed to play in Nice, and it was being sponsored by the Snowart French distributor, and um, Sandy had to pull out, and um, oh, they were upset. They were just absolutely upset. So I thought next best thing would be I'd get a group of uh, top American juniors and send them over to take their place. And uh, um, fully confident that our kids and you were one of them would go in there and just beat the living heck out of, out of them and they would stop complaining but they were they the french distributor and the snower people were what what are you thinking what are you doing and i said just just stick with me you'll you'll see and most of the time i my instincts have always always worked but i'm spending so much time trying to explain myself that i get out to the courts late uh and and the courts were cut down and needs were cut down into a bowl type situation. And these were those red, red, uh, dirt, uh, uh, brick, crushed brick courts that, that they have. And, um, and I looked down and Matt Mitchell, who had, I think he was number one in the country in the, in the juniors then, and you were 
playing. We were in college. We were in college. It was oh, right. 81. Okay. Yeah, I was playing yeah. with the Snowett Racket, and so was he, and I think he just won NCAAs. Okay, so, so, so here I've got my head in my hand, and I come back and say, oh, let me see how the boys are doing. And I look down, and I swear, it looked like you guys were trying to dig a grave. <laughs> Couldn't stand up. Could not stand up on the stuff. Yeah, and the scores were awful. And you were, you know, I think you were playing John, you know, Jacques Nobody, and, and he was playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Stanley never heard of me. And you know, <laughs> so, so uh, uh, and you guys just looked up at me and uh, like, what did you, what, why did you bring me over here? And I'm thinking, oh my God, even. Not only do I have the tournament people upset at me, I've got these folks upset at me. Uh, but, it was a, but it was a great learning curve, I think, for you to get get. Uh, I had my head handed to me, and and you guys got, had your head handed to you. But to learn, there was more to the game than just the the court you were playing with. You were a soft court player, but it was a different kind of uh, you know soft court. Well, it was, but you know that first week of Nice, at least we got to practice a little on it, so that you could just standing up on it. I felt like I was on playing on skating rink, but once I got used to it, the second, the interesting was the Monte Carlo match. The second match, Princess Grace and the Entourage came in for about twenty minutes and sat down. Then got back up and left. But I was playing a number four, <laughs> four guy in yeah. I was playing a number four guy in France at Monte Carlo on the Mediterranean, so it was all good. And I did almost beat him. I got like six three in the third. It was at least a competitive match. But still, it it goes to show you. I mean, just when you I remember when Kevin Curran came over from South Africa and. You know, it was just months and months, and later he said, you just don't know how long it takes to get acclimated, and that's one of the things that you don't think about, because that was my first time in Europe, and uh, it was just totally different. The balls were different, the courts were different, the scenery was different, and you're in a different place, so it it, it, it takes on kind of a surreal uh, feel, also, which also is Gary, great. The, the strokes of the your opponents are so different. Yeah, it's sure. A little, a little more difficult to read where that ball is going to go until you get used to that, you know? Right, right. Well, that's interesting. So so Montana Snoward, I think, was the name of the French distributor. And, right. Uh, oh, very good, very good. Well, I've still got the... Uh, I've still got the programs from those tournaments somewhere, but that was uh, that was interesting. So uh, we got so to now, do have so a little now, fun. We we went up to the old Nice and up those cobblestone uh, roads and got up there. And there's the fish laying out on the in the front and say, "You want this piece?" and and you just go and have a nice uh, dinner I and the casino. I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know you could speak German, and you're you're suddenly talking German to people. I was. I, I don't know if you recall that. I, I walked into the uh, the restaurant near you talking to some people in, in German. I went, my God, that's great. <laughs> well, the Plock is a German name. So anyway, so that was that was a fun uh, fun trip. So you got to do a lot of traveling uh, because you actually represented a lot of companies in your tennis days, and you wore well, a lot sorry. of different different hats in each company. I started my own, a lot of people thought, in many cases, I was working for that company under contract. I started my own company uh, when I realized, that large, after Spalding, I realized the large companies just didn't know how to get things done. They were so caught up in their own politics, and I'm sure, I'm sure that when these tennis players got out and went to other other industries, they ran into the same thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I became a specialist in, okay, once you mess up your brand, call me and I'll go in and uh, straighten it out. And that's, and, and normally I would work for the chairman of the company and, and go and... Troubleshooter, through, troubleshooter. Troubleshooter, sit through their meetings and go, oh my God, these meetings are just driving me crazy. You know, it's so simple. And... Um, huh. So, so that you know, that's how I got. That, that's how I got involved with so many different, you know, brands. Well, and, you had uh, you had uh, companies buying sporting goods companies, and they weren't really. They didn't know the the world of sporting goods, right? And, and right, that exactly. type of thing and how it worked. Uh, example, I guess, being when Pepsi bought uh, Wilson. 
Uh, but anyway, that's another story. But yeah, so so. But you 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 started some companies uh, yourself, but you would head up the tennis uh, division usually for right. the companies. But at at uh, Wimbledon Rackets, that was an interesting time. Sports Incorporated. That was an interesting right. company. Talk a little bit about that. At times, sports was uh, my wife and I primarily, and uh, we we uh, uh, had gotten in. in uh, a contract. I got involved in a contract with Kunan Lo. Kunan Lo was making all the most of the rackets in the world at that time, and so I was back and forth to Taiwan uh, frequently. Now, and, did he own Kenex at this time as well? He owned, he owned Kenex. In fact, um, at one of the shows, uh, the Kenex people uh, were so obnoxious about my appearing that uh, I, I had to threaten this, this, <laughs> this kind of thing that uh, you don't expect it of a business guy. I said, okay, you and I on the table, we're going to go for it right here, right? <laughs> you know, so it, it got very, very nasty because they had a nice little world and, you know, uh, they were the round eyes for the Asian uh, company and suddenly here's another guy uh, that nobody can understand uh, who had pretty good... Um, experience with the prince uh, racket and so i'm you know i'm putting together the uh that was a contract with the all england club gary and um we were to present um uh, uh, mark mccormick uh, was the uh, the guy who put that together and we had the tennis rackets and um and then i went to the people making the bags i went to the people making the clothes and saying look why don't you let me distribute uh, that so I have a stronger presentation uh, and then the, the one uh, it was a very very uh, Dick Squires who passed away but I, I absolutely uh, love the guy uh, told me that it was the most uh, first year it was the largest uh, introduction ever of a, of a tennis racket uh, is that right I, what I did is I went to uh, I went to 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 uh, the Price is Right, the show, and got the paddle, uh, got the racket on that. And uh, and then the, the trade would say, uh, and I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do. You're going to use me to get the brand launched, and then you're going to turn around and sell it to the mass market and screw me. And I said, oh, no, I already did that. I did that, I did that ahead of time. I went to uh, J.C. Penny and I got them to buy... Uh, a big load, and oh, see, at least you're being honest about it. And I said, "Well, think about it. J.C. Penney is probably the least, um, you know, the least uh, uh, has a, the least worst image among the, you know, the the mildest. Uh, I should say the mildest image among the uh, major retailers. And um, so, uh, and they sold a lot. They were happy with it, and they really were not predatory in prices, and they allowed." They allowed all the uh, pros that you and I, you know, uh, we, we, that we were setting up to um, to make their margin, uh, you know, on the uh, on the, the tennis rackets. So it was very, very successful. Um, it ended up though when uh, Kunan, uh, uh, some of his people got into te- somebody got caught uh, with money in their boots going through customs uh, leaving Taiwan and it became really stinky and people went to jail and uh, bankers came to me and said listen you know you, you, just, you got this 10% loan uh, we want you to uh, uh, it was called an uphill uh, guarantee they wanted me to guarantee all the money that the Bank of Boston had loaned to uh, to Kunai Low, and I said, "Are you crazy? Do I look crazy? No, I'm not going to do that." And um, huh. so, so that was the. Uh, I, but I had hired a lot of really good people. I didn't want to hurt, you know, hurt hurt anyone. So I just made a very, very quiet, uh, uh, you know, uh, exit. But uh, it, it ground down in, in another year or so. But it was an interesting. Uh, it was interesting days because I worked as uh, at Wimbledon and went around and. Helped helped hire other sales reps in that capacity, and Wimbledon had the racket itself was uh, innovative. It had some different uh, 
right. it was a very light racket. And they were, you know, and uh, spent money with Ken Flack and Bill Scanlon and Joachim Nystrom and a lot of the yeah. pros oh, yeah. gave them contracts. Hey, Michael Pernforce. It, it, it was a player's racket, which I wanted. Uh, uh, so I was really proud of that. And for years, uh, some of the innovations, uh, the other companies copied after, after Wimbledon. Uh, well, the Wilson uh, hammer, for example, is the uh, concept of a lot of weight in the head. We called it dynamic weighting, I guess, back in the in the Wimbledon days. But uh, that's very interesting that uh, Wimbledon, the the, the name uh, associated with the All England Club, had, must have had a lot of clout too. And now Kunan Low. I mean, he made all the Prince Graphite rackets, all the Prince Pro rackets, and, and probably, what, 70, and Ken X, and, yeah, yeah. and others, and probably 70 or 80% of the rackets in the world at one time. So this guy was huge. He was yeah. in Taiwan. T- tell, tell them a little bit about what those, those workers uh, were like over there in Taipei and what the conditions were in those factories. You went over there to Taipei. Yeah, they were in Taichung. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, the the uh, one reason the companies left the U.S. was the EPA standards were so high that uh, uh, they just could they just couldn't produce a product without uh, you know doubling or tripling the price of tennis rackets. So uh, they went overseas to have them made, and overseas it was the opposite. Uh, the, you could go in a fact the graphite where they're making graphite rackets and the dust the graphite dust in the air you could all you could see it it was you know it was just they had these big huge fans uh, trying to suck it out and those workers were working in the worst worst possible conditions did they have um, masks no no they didn't have that and i'm sure they didn't even know what was what was going on um and so it was it, it was a terrible terrible thing and um, so you know a lot of times when we Americans want something cheaper uh, the Nike uh, soccer ball is a good example when we want something cheaper uh, other people get jobs but sometimes they're not the, uh, the you know the best uh, you know best jobs they could get but the, in Taiwan then they were the only jobs they could get so it was uh, those people would live there wouldn't they for the week uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, Korea is another place where um, uh, <laughs> I went to. Um, I went. I went to a factory in Korea that made tennis balls, and uh, I. Uh, all the people live there, and they live in these little Quonset um, rectangles out behind the building, and um, so. The, but the. Uh, you know, the, the office looked nice. And I said, listen, I'd like to hit a few of the balls. So, well, these people were absolutely astounded. No one had ever done this. And I said, well, who plays tennis here? Nobody played tennis. Didn't know anything <laughs> about it. And, and there was a tennis racket maybe 20 feet up. Uh, it was, a, it was a mounted on the wall. So I, I climbed up, got a, a chair and on a desk. And I took this, this off and I went out to hit the balls. Now I'm hitting the ball against the wall. And I noticed that the ball, the aroma of the ball was getting worse and worse and worse. And of course, what was happening is the ball was landing in the, the downs, the downswill of, uh, all, all of the runoff from, uh, all of these workers that were uh, living in these little Quonset, uh, cubicles out back. So it was sewage. It was sewage. Yeah. 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 Wow. I managed to get out of the air and get my uh, politely and get washed up, and um, so it's you know it's it, it <laughs> so uh, we Wilson kept uh, kept their balls with the uh, general tire people for a while anyway. I think this might have been another time when you and I were in France together, but. Uh... <laughs> I like that company called Dolphin that you represented. Yeah, Dolphin, the running clothing. They had those nice one. running shorts, and uh, I forget what did they have swimwear as well or not? Was it was it was uh, running got, gear, wasn't it? Oh, I, when they made running gear, they were successful. When they tried to get into fashion and all the other things, they I think they that's when they uh, you know went went down the tubes. But uh, that was interesting. They had been uh, those, 
the people started that had been in the war, and they, that, they were parachutes. Um, uh, they cut men out of uh, parachutes uh, and uh, dyed them and, and uh, made, made running shorts out of them. And uh, then, it, then it suddenly became very, very fashionable because they really, the cut of them just looked absolutely beautiful on a, on a, a, a young lady, and uh, they became very, very popular. And my wife handled, pretty much handled all of that part of the business. And uh, I just I tried to stay with the tennis and uh, uh, you know do that. But I'd like to talk a, a little just you know about uh, tell me uh, just shortly uh, a short little about the champagne circuit that you played at. Oh, the champagne circuit. Well, I uh, I forget which trip it was, but we were I was traveling with a fellow from Rice University that was out of Baltimore named John Albert, and we played a series of some small tournaments in the Bordeaux region. It was called Medoc. It was the Aquitaine Peninsula, that thin strip that where all the finest wines are made in the Rothschild Chateau was close by. And we played a tournament in a place called Les Par, which is almost on the ocean there. And it's right in between all these wineries, and we had housing with a a doctor, uh, a surgeon, and he had a chateau. He had a, he had a little wine thing in the back, and he also had a horse farm kind of on it, a, a, sh- a small one, and uh, you know, pool out the back, just perfect place. And he actually took John and I into one of his operations when he was doing an. Uh, appendectomy on a little 12 year old girl and was in the saw the whole thing and you know had put the scrubs on and then he said stuff these in your pocket when you leave you know and we stuffed the shirt down there so you know some of the things you experience playing tennis are are unbelievable but what what happened was I happened to have a good week and I won this tournament and a couple of days before the tournament ends they start skewering a button uh, and and it's just going for days, and then the tournament's over. I win the tournament, played John in the finals actually, and uh, it's a little hard court, uh, two hard courts, and just real small and intimate. And every morning we'd get up and have, you know, this palatial breakfast and little wine at lunch, and just a, a different lifestyle. And um, and so I won the tournament, and that night they put the uh, red and white tablecloths on the picnic tables that are outside of the courts and attach a keg of wine to the end of each table. And they just had this big party and dancing and music. And then the, uh, the governor of Medoc comes out and uh, presents me. Medoc is kind of the state, I guess. And you see it on wine bottles, too. If it's a Medoc, it's very good. But uh, anyway, I got, I guess, six really, really nice bottles of wine and then also a big magnum of wine in a, in a box. And that was part of my prize. And then this really nice marble trophy uh, that I still have is, was just, uh, it was just a magical week. But then you and I met up after that and I was carting around for weeks all of those bottles of wine because I was getting ready to go home in a couple of weeks and we met up in Paris didn't we right we met up in Paris and uh, you had a should I should, let me tell this part of the story because you tell any part you want <laughs> I'm an open book we met up in Paris I don't know how if that was pre-planned or how we because you know communication was not so easy in those days like you know people have today but anyway we met up and um uh we ate ate out in the evening before now we're going over to the airport and the u.s was having an air controller strike and you had all of these wine bottles now we're you know now we're stopped off they're not going to take our luggage because of this the strike, and then all the French decide they're going to uh, be nice to the Americans, and they all have a strike. So uh, the whole country of France is—they uh, don't need a whole lot uh, to uh, go on strike, and they are all going on. And I ran down to the little uh, delicatessen in the airport there and got a big ball of cheese. You remember that? Yes, <laughs> I do, and a corkscrew, I believe you got. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, 
and came back, and there I am with Gary Flock and Vaughn Baker and some other people we didn't know, but we got to know well, and we started we started uncorking all the wine <laughs> and and uh, uh, chipping off a little bit of cheese at a time, and uh, this went on for seven or eight hours, and uh, we you know we. We made. We probably did more than the American uh, State Department does, making friends with the French, and uh, we we really um, did it. And I can remember when we got on the plane. Uh, I said to the uh, um, uh, getting on to the stewardess that received us. She said, "Gentlemen, uh, we'll soon be at twenty thousand feet and join you." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was a fun time, I tell you what. Can you imagine all the, all if I, we still had those bottles of wine, mercy's <laughs> sakes, they were, they were really expensive wines at the time, I'm sure that. Uh, but you never we, have, you'll never ever have a time like we had with that wine and that cheese. That was, that was a, that was a fun time for sure. But I think we had to sit on the tarmac another hour before we took off for our, what is it, a seven hour, six hour flight. It probably yeah, it could be eight, depending on the wind. Uh -huh. it, really? it could be quite a trip, yeah. I'm sure we slept through a lot of it. But uh, well, Vaughn, it's been great catching up with you. I think uh, I think the next time we can talk a little bit about pickleball too. Yes, I think we should. You know, uh, that uh, that that's that's something that you've gotten heavily involved with, and I enjoy playing pickleball and talk about the uh, tennis snobs and the pickleball snobs and. All that goes Gary, with it. Do you have two more minutes or no? I do. Uh, in Paris, uh, the famous uh, Sergio Tacchini. Um, I had a contract with him. I actually had four contracts with him, and uh, we were uh, just getting to know one another. And we were meeting uh, at the other airport. They have a large, very large uh, trade convention center, and uh, there were multiple conventions going on. It was it was so large. And uh, Sergio and I were supposed to meet like at uh, one o'clock for a meeting. And um, I'm, I, you know, I said, "Look, I'm going to go around, say hi to people, see what's new in the show." And I'm walking around and um, see somebody. Uh, I said, "Let's step out." And we stepped outside the door, and I'm talking to uh, to, to them, and suddenly it starts raining really, really hard. So uh, I said, "Okay, good goodbye." And I started indoor but I went the wrong door and it was another convention going on it was the international lingerie convention <laughs> and that year was the year of the Olympics so all the models were uh, uh, demonstrating their lingerie like they might be uh, if, if you can picture this a barbell they're lifting a barbell and I went oh my god I'm a, I'm a country boy from the eastern shore I, I, I had no idea this, <laughs> this kind of thing went on so when I got down finally to uh, Sergio, he's it's Italian, he's mad, you know, big, and, oh, you better go, remember, I said, Sergio, Sergio, I know, I know, I know I'm late, but I, you're Italian, and when I explain why I was late, I think you'll understand. He says, what? That's a lingerie show over there. Oh, okay. It was, it was, it was absolutely perfect with that. <laughs> yeah, no, for... <laughs> Yeah, for the listeners, Sergio Tacchini was a, t a top Italian player, not the, the best, but right at the top, played Davis Cup for good, Italy yeah. and uh, and one of the best players, but, but retired and got into this clothing line and had one of the most uh, desirable, out, you know, Sergio Tacchini clothing, and uh, uh, Vetus wore it, and Jean Mare wore it, and uh, McEnroe wore it. Kenny Rogers used to perform in it. Kenny Rogers, yeah. So Sergio Tacchini, and a lot of a lot of listeners will know, but if you don't, this guy was a very uh, uh, influential pe person in the world of fash, sports fashion. Like Fila was big at, as well at the time. One last French story, and I'll not bore you any longer, but uh, I think it's, for your people, it really helps them understand these top players. I was in, uh, Chrissy Everett was playing in the French Open and she had a death threat. So the public was unaware of this, uh, but she had like 40 uh, French detectives uh, surrounding her. And so I see her, 
And she spotted me in the crowd. I'm just sort of standing in the back, and her secretary comes to me. He says, why didn't you talk to Chrissy? And I said, well, I was a little afraid when I raised my hand that I'd get, <laughs> get shot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so she took me up to see Chris. And um, so we're, Chris was very nice and polite, and we're sitting there talking. And she says, so uh, where are you going next? I said, I, I'm going down to, I'm heading down to Rome. She said, are you going to see the Pope? And I said, and that that's told me everything about that life versus my life. Uh, am I going to see the Pope? And um, she, she had no clue that the rest of us don't do that. Uh, that because she was maybe she was seventeen then. You know, she was a, a young kid, and so we we get mad at these athletes at times, but we're the ones that put them on that pedestal and treat them that way. And 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 uh, so I'm always very sympathetic to athletes that get on the uh, public's bad side because we've really created, in most cases, we've really created that problem, you know. And uh, whereas they want to be treated, uh, well, they almost want to be treated as normal. Um, if you get if you treat them too normally, they don't like that. But um, but it's interesting that uh, the really good. You know, they're just really, really talented athletes, and uh, the rest of this they didn't bargain for. You know, so mm-hmm. be, being a little kinder to them, uh, wh- whatever sport it is you like, when you see somebody getting hot water, Tiger Woods, is, you know, I, I feel the same way there. You know. Well, Vaughn, that's interesting. Uh, Chrissy Everett. Now she, uh, I think she went to Saint Aqu- Aquinas Prep, so she may have been Catholic. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. She she, had, she knew the secret handshake, I'm sure. I see. I wonder. I'm sure she got to meet a pope or two. I'm sure she did, yes. Huh. And, uh, and, um, and, 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 and in a nice room, not in passing with... 55 other people you know mm-hmm. and i think i think jimmy and and, and uh, his wife also got to meet the pope so jimmy yeah. Everett, the, the father well vaughn it's been great let's do it again pickleball's next pickleball's next we got to talk about pickleball all right okay. thank, thank you thanks bye. for being with us bye-bye bye gary <laughs>